18 years ago, a small group of distraught and wounded Anglicans here in Jackson were orphaned from the tradition they grew up in, the tradition they loved. They were a group experiencing unexpected loss and deep pain, confused about what they should do next. And so they decided simply to meet together on and off as a way to help one another make sense of their present moment. And their meetings emphasized three practices, repentance, requests for guidance, and prayers for renewal. They met every Sunday evening for several months until it became clear that they were actually acting like a church. And then slowly but surely, that renewal did come and commitments were made. And yes, a church was indeed born. All Saints Anglican Church. It appears to me that our birth story gave rise to a culture that has stayed with us to this very day. A culture of what we call healing hospitality. That since this church was born in sorrow, so it continues to be a safe place for those who are experiencing sorrow. That we have become for so many wounded souls a community of healing. That's exactly what my family and I experienced here at All Saints about 10 years ago. As my wife Abby likes to put it, we were a hot mess at that time. We too had been orphaned from a church family that we loved, thrown into a tailspin, not, not sure if we would ever give church another chance. But a couple of key relationships led us to walk through these doors. And so we came to All Saints in sorrow, we were in pain, we were visitors with zero Anglican background, wondering what all this weirdness was about, the liturgy, the rituals, the sacraments. And yet at the same time, we were drawn to this unique community, this unique group of people who weren't, they weren't trying to make us Anglicans. They didn't see us as problems to be fixed or resources to be used. No, instead they saw us as wounded souls in need of one thing, the love of a family. And it deeply changed us forever. Now, I realize this isn't everyone's story but still, I can't tell you how encouraging it has been to see the same sort of thing happen over and over again to those who in particular have been wounded by the church. To watch how the Spirit uses the love of a family to renew one's hope and revive one's faith. It continues to be a beautiful gift to witness. One that we don't take for granted. One that we give thanks to God for every single day. Praise the Lord that we are a community that loves one another. Today our gospel passage takes us back to the upper room around the dinner table that night just before Jesus is crucified so that we can hear these words again. I give you a new commandment, Jesus says, that you love one another as I have loved you. Now, it might seem strange at first to jump back in the church calendar right in the middle of Easter season, but it makes sense once you remember that Easter is also a time to prepare ourselves for Jesus' departure. I mean, I know, we can, we can only imagine how thrilled the early disciples must have been to be in the physical presence of their risen Lord 
But Jesus knew that it would be better for them if he departed than if he remained physically with them. He knew this even before he was crucified. Which is why on the night before he suffered, Jesus gives his disciples what is known as the farewell discourse. Final instructions before leaving them. As he says in our gospel passage today, he says, Little children, I am with you only a little longer. And so he goes on from there for a number of chapters, all the way through John chapter 16, to encourage them as they face this prospect to be out, to, to, for, for, the departed, for Jesus, their risen Lord, to depart from them. And the first and most important instruction he gives them is here in our passage today, this new commandment. When I leave you, you must learn to love one another. Now, left to itself, this command is radical enough. I mean, my goodness, to, to foster a community of love that looks like Jesus, that is no small order to say the least. But the command is even more striking when it is heard in light of its immediate context, something that we miss if we don't extend our passage today a, a few verses on both sides. And so as we continue to strive to be a place of healing hospitality that is marked by love, as, as we at All Saints continue to, to seek to put this new commandment into practice, listen, we would do well to give our attention to how this passage is framed. That is, to see what's going on immediately before and immediately after Jesus tells us to love one another. Because our passage today is framed by two wounds, two betrayals, two friends who turn their back on Jesus. The first occurs right before Jesus gives this new command. I mean, we're still around the dinner table, but the scene gets quite uncomfortable when Jesus decides to make this announcement. He says, very truly I tell you, one of you will betray me. They talk about a downer. Jesus throwing cold water all over this Passover party. And naturally, right, the disciples are confused. I mean, they're looking around, whispering in each other's ears. Who do you think he's talking about? Why would one of us betray him? What, what's going on? And then finally, you know, Peter, he, he can't take it anymore. And so he blurts out, Lord, who is it? Who are you talking about? And that's when you'll remember Jesus takes a piece of bread. He, he dips it into a dish and he hands it across the table to Judas. And I'm sure their eyes must have locked. Indeed, everyone's eyes locked onto Judas. Eyes of confusion, of fear, of, of anger. What is going on? And then Jesus says, do quickly what you are going to do. And that's when Judas stands up and walks right out of the room. As John recounts this part of the story, he makes sure to, conclu to conclude this troublesome scene by, making, by noting the time of day. Now, John is a master of double entendre, so he simply finishes this story by saying, and it was night, right? A dark scene indeed, betrayal. But the scene that follows our gospel passage today is no brighter. For on the back end of Jesus giving his disciples this new command, a second wound occurs. You'll remember this is when Peter boldly declares that he will follow Jesus anywhere. That he will even lay down his life for Jesus. I mean, isn't that 
Wonderful, isn't that beautiful? Especially after such an awkward scene with Judas. Except for the fact that Jesus calls his bluff, doesn't he? He says to Peter, really? Will you really lay down your life for me? Very truly I tell you, and so, uh uh-oh, you know, here it comes. Before the cock crows, you will have denied me three times. Ouch. Another dark moment. A close friend betrays Jesus, and then a close friend denies Jesus. That's how our gospel passage today is framed. That's what we must take note of as we consider what it means to love one another. Fully aware of these two betrayals, right in the middle of these two wounds, Jesus gives his final word to us. Love one another. I think that puts this command in a whole new light, don't you? Jesus isn't offering some feel-good, friendly advice about getting along and going along. No. He is quite aware that people hurt people, right? He knows all too well that friends betray, friends deny, friends run away when you need them the most. And yet into this dark reality, he makes his plea, friends, you must love one another even still, even Still, if we are going to continue to be a family of love, a place of healing for those who are in pain, then we must put this vision in its proper context, this command in its proper context, that we are all broken sinners prone to lash out, prone to trample over one another in a rush to put ourselves first. That even when we have good intentions, that even when we try our best, we will still inevitably wound one another. You know it. It's happened to you. I know it. This makes the words of Jesus then so relevant and crucial for us today. Find a way to love one another through and in the wounds, through and in the pain, in the face of betrayal, in the face of denial, right? That's our calling. As a community called together around the table of our Lord, so must we be a community that always passes the peace of our Lord, right? Which is exactly why we pass the peace each and every Sunday before we share communion together. The the peace of the Lord be always with you. This isn't greeting time. This isn't catch up on the week time. No, this is actually a tangible reminder that we hurt each other. That wounds creep in throughout the week. That resentment builds up and and unforgiveness settles in. The peace that we pass is a reminder that we must be a people who are always striving to make amends. Who are always working to be reconciled over and over again with one another. Love one another. You think about it, if a group of 12 Jewish men inflicted and experienced relational scars and bruises. I mean, my goodness. You can bet that a global widespread community of male and female, black and white, Democrat and Republican, liberal and conservative, American and Russian, immigrant and citizen, you can bet that we too are going to have our share of scars and bruises along the way. That means we must always stand poised 
to forgive, to restore, to admit our mistake, to give each other space and grace. Friends, this is a work that is never going to slow down. In my preparation this week, I read somewhere that this is the only ethical imperative Jesus gives in the entire fourth gospel, to love one another. You won't read in John's gospel any, turn the other cheek, walk a second mile, or give your cloak away. No, just love one another. Isn't that interesting? And if you think about it, the command to love one another doesn't really answer a lot of our specific questions, doesn't it, whenever we get into conflicts. I mean, what if someone continues to harm you? What do you do then? How is the nature of your relationship supposed to change? What does love look like? When do you get others involved in helping you sort out what's really going on? And think about it. How do you forgive someone who, who doesn't think that they've done anything wrong in the first place? What about those who are passive-aggressive and don't know it, who, who manipulate the situation? How do, you, how do you handle personal attacks on social media from a brother or sister in Christ? And all we have is this pithy command to love one another? Please, don't you feel it? We need a bit more of the help than that. Well, apparently God doesn't seem to think so. You see, the Bible is not a how-to book on any and every possible situation that may arise in our lives where we need help figuring something out. No. I mean, that's not how we raise our, our, our children to come running to us for the right answer each and every time they're faced with a moral dilemma. No, that's not how we raise our kids. We raise them to be the type of person who can assess and navigate difficult situations in a way that will honor Christ and demonstrate love. It's the same with the family of God. It's about the type of person you and I are becoming. Are we becoming the type of person who discerns what's going on in a complicated, difficult situation, who asks for advice and employs wisdom so as to approach any situation on a case-by-case basis, realizing that things are complicated? What does it mean to move forward in a way that expresses the love of Christ for one another? Applying that command, love one another, is tricky, messy, difficult. There is no quick and easy playbook for how to create a healthy community marked by love, right? But neither did the early church have one. I mean, just consider our passage today from Acts 11, how the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem criticized Peter for playing fast and loose with Scripture, Eating with Gentiles when the law clearly instructs otherwise. I mean, we forget today when we read a story like that how messy and charged these kinds of relational encounters and interactions must have been back then. And of course, the early church didn't always do a good job navigating those situations, did they? Sometimes they did, sometimes they didn't. But they continued to pursue the very thing that we're trying to nurture here at All Saints. A healing community marked by the love of Christ. And that, my friends, takes a lot of prayer, a lot of wisdom, a lot of discernment. It takes listening to one another, patience, giving each other the benefit of the doubt, doing your best to understand the other person first, their feelings, their perspective. This, my friends, is a messy, hard work, but it is a work that is totally worth it. I know it, and you know it. Because we've both experienced the joy and the healing that comes from that kind of community, haven't we? 
We just need to remind ourselves that this isn't going to get any easier. That this is the work that Jesus calls us to do when he says, love one another as I have loved you. And so my humble prayer is that this healing culture of love that we've developed here at All Saints through the power of the Spirit would only continue to grow and bear much fruit. That more and more wounded people would be drawn into this fellowship, into the hard, yes, but healing work of love. And that through such work, we would continue together to share in the life of God for the life of the world. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.